0: Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. Buddhism, all right. Now, we are in this study of cults and world religions. Uh, Last week, we talked about Hinduism. And I had a couple people afterwards ask specifically about the caste system of Hinduism. Have you heard of the caste system? Anybody know what the caste system is? It's where you have different people in different levels of society. And so you have this high level of society, this mid-level society, this low-level society. And, And a couple of the questions I had was, one of the last points that we mentioned last week was that Hinduism, one of the kind of key threads of Hinduism is that you are to value all human life. How does that, do you think, fit with their caste system within India's culture and that, that's so heavily influenced by Hinduism? How does the caste system and Hinduism kind of work together? Not very well doesn't sound like. All right. Any other thoughts? There's another belief of Hinduism that we mentioned last week that plays into this. And when you take this other piece and plug it in, it all fits reincarnation. All right, so remember reincarnation. What is reincarnation? You come back as something else. All right, remember talking about reincarnation? So, how does reincarnation fit with the caste system? Yes, if you're in this lower level and you live this, the life that Hinduism says that you should live and you live and you die well, what's going to happen when, according to them, you're reincarnated? You're going to get bumped up a notch, right? You're going to move up to a different system. And so the caste system is how you have, the, or excuse me, reincarnation is how you make sense of the caste system and then the, the, their belief that you have to value all human life. It all kind of works together in this, the, this system. Well, tonight we're moving to Buddhism. Let me just begin by giving you, again, several facts about Buddhism just to kind of lay the foundation for you. Here's the first one. A, Buddhism is believed to have originated in southern Nepal. It is believed to have originated in southern Nepal. And the reason why we say believed is because this is an old religion and it's hard to pinpoint exactly where it began, but most people believe it started here. B. B. Buddhism is the world's fourth largest religion. What would be ahead of it? Islam, Christianity, Hinduism. Very good. All right, so it is the world's fourth largest religion. See, there are 400 million followers worldwide. 400 million. So again, is this some small fledgling kind of religion over here to the side? No, this is a major world religion. In fact, if you go to some places around the world, this is the predominant religion. You walk into their culture, you go to Nepal today, you walk into that culture in Nepal, it is going to be the vast majority, 90-something percent of people in Nepal follow Buddhism. All right. So this is not... Well, and we'll see this in a minute one of the challenging things about some of these eastern religions is that it is not just a religious belief system it is also very cultural so when you're again when you're walking into these areas you're not only confronting the religion you're you're confronting the culture so like last week when we're talking about hinduism When you walk into India, you're not just confronting the religion of Hinduism, you're also confronting the the culture of the caste system that is driven by the Hinduistic belief system. It's all tied together, so it makes it very challenging when it comes to missions and evangelism. Number D, letter D. There are about 500,000 followers in the U.S. There are about 500,000 followers in the U.S., and it is growing in the U.S., So even in the United States, I know sometimes in the Southeast, we are not confronted quite as frequently with people who hold to to some of these other major world religions, but there are pockets in the U.S. where Hinduism is flourishing, pockets in the United States where Hinduism is growing rapidly. One such place, um, well, I'll get to that in a second, E, there are two main groups of Buddhism, two main groups of Buddhism. The first one is this, Tibetan Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism. And the second is Zen Buddhism. You say, what in the world is the difference? Well, Tibetan Buddhism is all about spiritual development. They, they want to free their, themselves from the what they would call the worldly practices. And the way they free themselves from the worldly practices is through these almost what we would call spiritual disciplines. They have these disciplines that they follow. We'll see some of them a little bit later. But it's all about spiritual development. Zen Buddhism is all about meditation. It's about improving oneself. So Tibetan Buddhism is all about spiritual development. Zen Buddhism is all about meditation. and That's why you see Buddhism and meditation link so closely together very frequently. F. I found this interesting. The founder of Buddhism died of food poisoning at the age of 80. The founder of Buddhism died of food poisoning at the age of 80. So what does that what does that immediately tell you about Buddhism? Okay, it's not like Christianity. Why? What is different about Their founder's dead What about the founder of Christianity, Christ? Is he dead? Did he die of food poisoning accidentally, unexpectedly? (laughs) No, it was a very planned, purposeful, intentional, sacrificial death. So when you're looking at the founder of Buddhism, when I was reading and I was like, the founder of Buddhism died of food poisoning at the age of 80. I'm like, who did that help? When you compare that to Christ who is a substitute so that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved, they're there, there polar opposites. They're completely different. One died unknowingly, unplanned, accidentally of food poisoning, something out of his control. The other one laid down his life a ransom for many, willingly, knowingly, intentionally. Big difference, right? I mean, one of the things when you talk to someone who follows Buddhism is, well, what happened to your founder? Oh, well. Food poisoning got him. Let me tell you about ours. Let me tell you about Christ. All right? G, the term Buddha refers to an enlightened one. An enlightened one. And the way that you become enlightened, according to Tibetan Buddhism is through spiritual development, and the way you become enlightened, according to a Zen Buddhist, is through meditation. So a lot of the core principles under the umbrella of Buddhism remain consistent, but how you achieve some of these things varies depending upon the specific group you're talking to. H, the U.S. hub for Buddhism is in Boulder, Colorado. The U.S. hub for Buddhism in the United States is in Boulder, Colorado, what do y'all know about Colorado? So the United States. Uh, legal. Say what? <laughs> marijuana. Why do you know that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> marijuana is legal. All right. So hold on a second. This is actually significant. All right. So what is one of the key principles of Zen Buddhism? Meditation. Why do you think marijuana is legal in Boulder, Colorado? There's a connection. Um, It's interesting to find a lot of these world religions, they have major hubs in the U.S., and it is strategic, and it is planned. There is a reason why the hub for Buddhism is not in the Bible Belt. There's a reason. Um, There's a reason why some of these world religions, their hub in the U.S. is west or northeast. There's a reason, all right? I. Buddhism is a combination of religion, philosophy, and cultural practice. One of the interesting things about Buddhism is like in every denomination, there is a liberal group and there is a conservative group. And within Buddhism, remember how we talked about they all have different denominations? Under the umbrella of Buddhism, there are over 200 specific groups that claim Buddhism. So earlier when I said there's Tibetan Buddhism and Zen Buddhism, each of one of them breaks down and there's dozens of different little denominations and sects and and groups within. Now they all claim to be Buddhist and they all claim to follow Buddhism and the beliefs of Buddhism and the, Practices of Buddhism, but when we're talking about the overall, or excuse me, when we're talking about the specific beliefs, there's going to be some variation. Is there variation among Bible believing Christians about some doctrines, some beliefs, some practices? Absolutely. Well, it's no different in Buddhism. So if I go up to Jason, and he's a Buddhist, and then I go up to Rebecca, and she's a Buddhist, and then I go to Mark, and he's a Buddhist, it's possible for all three of them to claim Buddhism, but then hold to to, to different twists on Buddhism, to different specific beliefs on Buddhism. And so when we're talking about this, just understand that the, the things that we're talking about can be interpreted differently by different Buddhists. And so if you're trying to evangelize to someone who holds the Buddhism, you have to figure out, first of all, what exactly do you believe? What exactly do you hold to? All right, Jay. Some believe that Buddhism started as a result of the dissatisfaction with the caste system of Hinduism. In fact, this is the majority of the belief that, that Hindu, excuse me, that Buddhism began as a reformation movement within Hinduism. So there's a group within Hinduism who is setting back, and they kind of saw this, this inconsistency where they were saying, oh, we're supposed to value all human life, but there's some people who live their entire life on this low end of the caste system. They really have no hope. I know we talk about reincarnation, and maybe they'll get there. This doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem consistent. It doesn't seem like it's, the, like it's working. And so they started this movement movement within Hinduism to reform Hinduism, to to try to eradicate India of the caste system. Well, when that didn't work, because it was religious and a cultural challenges, when that didn't work, they went off and started Buddhism as a separate religion, a separate belief system, and they adapted it specifically, and some of the things of Buddhism directly opposed some of the beliefs of Hinduism. Interesting how a lot of it's tied together, Right? We trace it all the way back. You have Hinduism and or Buddhism starting as a result of dissatisfaction with Hinduism, Um, and we're going to see that more through some. Especially when we get to some of the Western religions, we're going to see why how several of them started with you know what I don't like this belief system. I'm going to start something else, or why can't we do this? Which which is interesting for something we talked about last week. What happens when there is no final authority? So for a Buddhist, remember last week, what was their final authority? They really didn't have much, did they? What is our final authority? The Bible, it is scripture. So when we're trying to determine what we believe and what we do, we have a place to go. Does a Buddhist have a place to go? Well, maybe maybe not depending on who you're talking to. Does a Hindu have a place to go? Maybe maybe not. And we're going to see this actually in the next section. How does Buddhism add or take away from the Bible? So remember the three things all cults have in common. They add or take away from the Bible. They multiply the requirements for salvation or they take away from the fact that Jesus was God. So how, do, how does Buddhism do that? Or well, how do they take away from the Bible? Here's the first one. The Bible is not a consideration for them. Much like in Hinduism, if you, go up to, if you go to southern Nepal and you're talking to a Buddhist and you give them a copy of the Bible, they're going to look at it and they're going to be like, what's this? They don't know about it. They don't value it. It's not on their radar, Um, which is different, again, from a lot of the Western religions, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, a lot of these others. They're very familiar with the Bible. In fact, a lot of their beliefs mirror the beliefs of the Bible. Now, there's key differences, but they're familiar with it. So for a Buddhist, the Bible is not a consideration for them. However, B, they have many scriptures. How do you think they define scriptures? Why sayings, teachings. That, both of those work together. They're primary, they have one major thing that they call scriptures. And when it's I couldn't say it in the, whatever language it was, but when it's translated, it translates to, to, in English to three baskets. That's the translation, three baskets. And what the idea is, they have three different um, groups of, of writings that they put together that make up their scriptures. The first is their laws and rules. And it's sitting on your screen or your handout. The first basket is their laws and rules. The second is the sermons and teachings of Buddha. And the third is the philosophy or the interpretation of Buddha's teachings. So you have all three of these together. You have the laws and rules. You have the teachings and the sermons of Buddha. And then you have the interpretation of the teachings and sermons of Buddha. All that together makes up what they would consider to be their main teachings. All right. Now, let's build on that. See. Buddhism is based on the teachings of Siddhartha Gautama. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Anybody, know, anybody got a better pronunciation than that? I didn't think so. Nobody wants to try, right? Jason, you got anything different? Sounds good. Sounds good. That's what, good. Now, here's the challenge. The scriptures that they claim to have were written 400 years after the death of... This dude. Why is that a challenge? There's no contemporary writings. No contemporary writings. All right. What else? Lost in, lost in translation. How do we know, how do we verify that this is actually what he said 400 years later, and we don't know who the translators were, or we don't know who the people are who wrote this down. We don't know all of them anyway. So it creates some challenges. All right? D. They believe that truth is a subjective quality that can only be experienced, not objectively communicated. All right, they believe that all truth is a, or that truth is a subjective quality that can only be experienced, not objectively communicated. How do they experience it? Meditation. That's how they experience truth. What what makes this hard for them, do you think? So when they say, hey, truth cannot be objectively communicated, you only have to experience it. What would you say to a Buddhist who said that to you? Say what? How do you know know that you've achieved it? What else? Why do you have a book with teachings and sermons if it can't be objectively communicated? If you cannot objectively communicate truth, then how do you know what is being objectively communicated in these sermons and teachings is actually truth? Why are you following it? Why are you listening to it? Why are you paying attention? It, it doesn't add up, right? So within this, there are a lot of inconsistencies. Uh, another inconsistency within Buddhism is the fact that um, Buddha did not believe in, in a god. He, w- he was a humanist. But yet, 700 years after his death, his followers made him a deity. So the fact that he is a deity contradicts his own beliefs, that there is no god, So you start talking to a Buddhist and you're like, yeah, well, we have this deity that we believe and it's all kind of different forms of Buddha. One of the questions is, well, Buddha didn't believe in any deities. It's inconsistent. So there's a lot of inconsistencies like that within Buddhism. All right, how does Buddhism multiply the requirements for salvation? A, they believe in karma, which is the moral law of cause and effect. We talked about karma last week, that if you do something good, what's going to happen? Something's good going to happen to you. If you do something bad, you have a flat tire on the way home, or something. That's the the universal or the moral law of cause and effect. Why is it? And we talked about this last week. Let's just just to reiterate, why is that a tough way to live? It's not One, it's not reality. You don't know if you're doing enough. I mean, how do I know? I mean, if I if I do something good before breakfast but then I do something bad before lunch, does that balance out to nothing happening? I mean, how do you know? I mean, every day you're walking through life wondering, have I done enough good for something good to happen to me, or am I just a little bit short? So you're constantly striving to do more and more and more Which leads to very dedicated committed followers. You look at followers of Buddhism, the committed followers of Buddhism, they are committed. I mean, they alter their entire lives to reflect their beliefs. And again, we've talked about this last week. With Buddhism and Hinduism both, their belief system is so ingrained into who they are that when you look at them, you see that they live differently. And when you look at it and you trace it all back, it is directly tied to their belief system, to their religion that they are following. May that be said of us. May we live in a way that when people look at our lives, it can be traced all the way back to our belief in Christ and our belief in Scripture and our obedience to God's Word. May we live in such a way when people look at you that it is clear you live differently because of what you believe. And if you do not live differently, if what you believe does not cause you to live differently, I hate to break it to you, but you really do not believe it. I mean, that's the whole message of the book of James. Faith changes you. True saving faith manifests itself in your life. And if there is a life that never manifests the result of saving faith, the the reality is there was no saving faith. I mean, Adam addressed this a little bit this morning. It is so easy to be religious. But being religious will not get anyone into heaven. Ever. It never has. It never will. The only thing that gets people into heaven is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we're going through these cults and world religions, we have to constantly be reminded, this is, this is the key. The, what, what people need is a relationship with Christ. They need the gospel. All right? B, the goal is to achieve nirvana which is the state of enlightenment. The goal is to achieve nirvana, which is a state of enlightenment. And that's why, again, meditation is so important to them. See, there is no such thing as sin. Because when you believe in karma, it's just all going to balance out in the end. If you do bad, something bad is going to happen to you, and it's a wash. You do something good, something good is going to happen to you, and it's a wash. There's no sin. There's no sin nature. There's Therefore, well... When there is no sin, what also is there not? Salvation. salvation. Why? Don't you don't need it. So you talk to them. They don't need salvation. Why? They're not guilty of anything. I mean, yeah, they may do something wrong, but the, the moral law, the universal moral law of karma is going to equal it all out, and it's all going to be okay, but they don't need salvation. The, the, there's not a heart problem. There's just a behavior problem. D, Buddhism believe, believe in Dukkha, which is the idea that all existence has no permanence. I well, know that's kind of a weird thing. What do you think they mean by that? No eternal life. No eternal life. What else? Any other thoughts? No. In a well. In a way, it's the idea that you live your life, and then at the end of the life, there is nothing else. So, in a way, yes, they 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 would view it as okay. We have this life, and it is, and it what it is, it will be. And I try to do as good as I can, but in the end, um, my goal is just to become one with, become enlightened, which is this knowledge of God, this experience of of their idea of. It's not necessarily a deity, but it's the idea that they, they, they want to become one with knowledge. It's just, it's just very mystical. One of the things you find with Eastern religions is it's very mystical. So when you come over and you start studying some of the Western religions, such as Christian science and Scientology, they borrow some of those mystical teachings of the Eastern religions as some of the kind of core beliefs within some of their teachings. Um, e, they believe in five ways to gain merit for the next life. So, the next life is not the same thing as reincarnation. It's more of this enlightened state. All right, so it's not not eternal life, and it's not necessarily reincarnation. It's this enlightened state. And the more you do these things, the more enlightened you will be in whatever's next. It's a good question. They would say nothing specific. Like in Hinduism, reincarnation, you could come back as what? A rat, I heard. A rat, a frog, whatever, a cow. You could come back to something. They don't go as far into the reincarnation to believe that. They believe that there is an existence that follows this life, but it is a mystical existence. I mean, that's a good question. Remember how there's inconsistencies? That's one of the challenges. So here's the five things they say you've got to do. One, support monasteries. What's a monastery? I did not understand one thing of that. Say what? Monks live there. Yep, monks live there. Why? I heard something else. It's where they go to study, pray, meditate. All right, so support monasteries. Two, make pilgrimages to shrines. Make pilgrimages to shrines. Three, give food to monks and nuns, because not all monks and nuns spend 100% of their time in monasteries. Number four, do good deeds. The number five, build a memorial to Buddha. There is a series of videos um, on missions called Dispatches to the Front, Um. And I think they were produced by an organization called Frontline Missions. And I, I have them and we've watched them. But they do one in Nepal and one very specifically in this Buddhist country. And they show these missionaries going into these homes and talking about pretty much what they're trying to do is just build relationships with people in the community. But one thing you notice is they, as they would walk in each one of these homes, every single one of them had some kind of statue to Buddha. Every single one of them, and not just one. They would usually have one front and center in the house, kind of like what we would do above on a mantle above a fireplace. That's kind of where they would put one. But then, at the exact same time, you go into every single room, and somewhere in that room, there is a memorial to Buddha. And usually, um, there's uh, a kind of smoke coming out of it. And this is constant. This constant idea that we have to have a memorial to Buddha everywhere we go. If you were to go in and they, they walked around the streets and they would go into shops and every shop they went into, every room within that shop, there would be a memorial to Buddha established somewhere. In fact, you'd go into some of the, some of the Buddhist temples where they would actually go to worship and there are these huge, huge, memorials established to buddha and people would go to and really the large ones are what constitute the shrines and they would have these huge i mean when i say huge i mean it's like 10 feet by 10 feet statue of buddha and all these flowers and everything around and incense burning and they're trying to create this atmosphere but everywhere you go there's a memorial to buddha I was living in Northeast Ohio and the senior pastor of the church where I was on staff lived across the street from someone who held to Buddhism. And they got he was helping him do some work one day. And in Northeast Ohio, he went into this house to help him do some work. And right there, underneath the TV, what do you think he saw? A memorial to Buddha. All right. So this is not just something you find in a place like Nepal. This is something that any real true follower of, of Buddhism is going to have some sort of memorial to Buddha. Why? Well, they believe this is how you improve or grow in your enlightenment for what comes next. And so everywhere you go, they are going to have this. Um, What is the difference? Y'all ready to think for a second? (laughs) I don't know. What's the difference in having a memorial to Buddha and having a cross put up? Okay, we're not worshiping the cross. What else? That's true. We're not, told to put up a cross. we're not told to put up a cross, and that's something they have to do for their spiritual enlightenment. Um, any other thoughts? The cross? The statue or the wooden cross that we may put up here, that memorial or that um, symbol doesn't help us in the next life. Now, obviously what Christ did on the cross does, right? But if I were to uh, get a piece of, get some paint or two pieces of wood and put a cross right here, is that cross that I put up right there going to help you get to heaven? No. So one of the things that when you start talking to Buddhism and they, they, in their limited understanding of Christianity, you're like, why do you have all these statues of Buddha? And they look at you and say, why do you have all these crosses? And sometimes Christians are like, "Uh, don't know, and they're just left. Well, we have to know how to answer these questions. We have to know, well, you know, for, the, for me, the cross helps me remember what Christ did, and it is what Christ did that leads to eternal life. That cross that, I, that, that we have up, or I'm trying to look. Do we have a cross in here anywhere? There's one out there. there's one out, yeah, there's one out there. I knew there was one in here somewhere. That the cross that we have up. That doesn't save anyone in and of itself. It, it's representative of what Christ did. Um, it's an empty cross. It is an empty cross, which what, what does that communicate? Christ isn't dead. All right, Christ is risen. So, some of these questions that we Christians get asked, sometimes they're, they're left kind of dumbfounded, and we don't have to be. There, there's ways to answer these questions. Yes, Sandy. Mhm. Yeah, so we the Ten Commandments instruct us not to build or have any graven image. A graven image is something that would be worshiped, right? We don't worship we don't worship any con- any construction of a cross or any picture of a cross, what that does, what that cross does, is it should lead us directly to what Christ has done for us. And that is the focus for us. It's on what Christ has done. All right? How does Buddhism take away from the fact that Jesus was God? Here's what they say about Jesus. A, Jesus was an enlightened teacher. Is that true? Hunter? That's the question. What do you mean by enlightened? All right, so what do we mean by enlightened? Full of knowledge. So it could be true depending on how you mean enlightened, right? So was Jesus a great teacher? Absolutely. We would not argue with that at all. Was Jesus just a great teacher? No. B, they do not believe, again, in an omnipotent creator God who exists apart from our universe. So where we would say, in the beginning God created the heaven and earth, they would say, no, if there is this idea or concept of God, it's, he's one with the earth. It's almost this, um, anybody know what belief system that is? It's, it's a New Age belief system, but it has Eastern world religious ties. Anybody know? Similar to Scientology, Scientology and New Age are very, they have a lot of close Um, but it would be called uh, polytheism or animism, or there's all these different isms that kind of can be, depending on how you view them, can kind of encapsulate this idea that all is God, God is in all, so you better be careful with that tree because God may be part of that tree. Um, It's kind of a, a similar thing here that they do not believe in an omnipotent creator God who exists apart from the universe. In fact, um, I mentioned this, that Buddha was what you call a non-theist. He really didn't believe in the in the idea that there was a creator God. It wasn't until after he was dead and gone that his followers began viewing him as a deity, and the goal was kind of to become one, this enlightened state. Jason. Do you know what they believe about creation? the beginning have creation? It, no, it's, they have a, a purely hum, humanist, naturalistic perspective on the origin of the earth. Um, it just... It, it it happened but they do not believe that there was a creator that that cre- yeah it, it, there, there there was no divine design um, it was a, it's a very naturalistic um, perspective on that um, yeah so, clarifying who or what is buddha is that the creation of the guy you mentioned before? yes the yeah the, the name we can't pronounce is this founder that they say this is who we want to worship. This is who we want to memorialize. This is what, this is what it means to be Buddha. Is he Buddha? Buddha is the term. So earlier, what, what does the term Buddha mean? Enlightenment. All right. So they say this guy embodied how you become enlightened. This is what it means. This person embodies Buddha. Enlightenment. So a follower of Buddhism, a follower of Buddha's goal then is to become like him, Buddha. They refer to him as Buddha. They want to become enlightened. And the way you do that is by following all these different paths, these different laws. And so this this guy, and again, I can't pronounce his name very well, is this embodiment who gave these teachings, who gave these laws, who gave these things, again, out of a dissatisfaction with Hinduism, they... They, they look to him as their founder, they look to him as what it means to become enlightened. and so when you say they they follow Buddha, Buddha is enlightenment, but this is the person who showed them how to become enlightened. Does that make sense? Have I ever seen him? No, he's dead. I'm sure you could google it I mean I, I The statues are shirtless. Yes, Um, what is the significance to that? I have no idea. A long time, a long time ago. You wonder why they didn't worship Sid instead of Buddha? Well, in their mind, well, in their mind, he he showed them to the pathway to enlightenment. And what is Buddha? What does the term Buddha mean? enlightenment. So in their mind, when you say I'm following Buddha, in their mind it's all one and the same because the goal is just to become one. It's to become enlightened. It's to become this mystical existence. I saw another hand over here. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, the culture—it's not just religion; it's a culture. And so, even the, the many times the police force is built around enforcing these, these principles of, of Buddhism. I mean, it, it's a confusing religion. Um, one because we're not overly familiar with it. We see certain things depicted in movies, um, but it can be challenging. Um, other Buddhist, uh, yeah, other Buddhism beliefs and practices. Here are several things. Any of you ever heard of the Dalai Lama? What do you all know about the Dalai Lama? Very what? You said the right word. Enlightened. That's how they want you to think of him, is very enlightened. Why is that important to them? Because that's the goal, is enlightenment. So where we would, some people would say, well, Dalai Lama is very wise. they will be like, no, he's not wise. He's enlightened. All right. But the Dalai Lama and other monks shave their heads to signify the rejection of materialism. The rejection of materialism. So that's why, if you go back up a little bit in our outline, you see that one of the ways that you gain this merit for what they would consider to be the next life or this enlightened life is to give food to monks and nuns. Um, because the monks and nuns, they don't have anything. They, they've rejected all material possessions, they don't want to have any material possessions. I'll explain why here in just a second. B. Buddhism's fundamental principle can be summed up in the phrase, all is suffering. Here's what they say, and I was reading actually a little bit more about this this afternoon. Here's what they say. They say all is suffering, and you can see this in the sickness and decay and decline and the moral depravity in the world. All is suffering. But they would say that all of this suffering comes or it's caused by the desire for pleasure. So the way that you gain freedom from this life of suffering is by eliminating the cravings for this pleasure. Do you see how it's all tied together? So you have all of this suffering in the world. All is suffering. All of this suffering is is created by the desire for pleasure. So the way that you gain freedom from the suffering is by eliminating the craving for pleasure. So why do they have monasteries? Do you think there's any monasteries in southern Nepal that have TVs on the wall? No. What do they do in monasteries? Pray, meditate, read. There's monasteries where there is absolutely no talking whatsoever, ever. I mean, you'll walk into these monasteries and there'll be 40, 50, 60 monks there in complete silence all the time. No talking. How many of y'all could survive in that very long? Ray, you got no hope. All right, we, we would, it's completely different. But part of the construction and the idea of these monasteries is that it removes these monks, these, these individuals who are committed to following this strict lifestyle of crushing these cravings that are, these cravings for pleasure that leads to suffering, the way you gain freedom from that is removing yourself from any of the, those temptations and those cravings and those things in life that fuel those cravings. Now, what is the problem with that mentality? Okay, what, what did you say? Okay, so here's, here's, their pro, here's the, the problem with what they are doing. In their mind, the problem is external. All right. So the way that you gain freedom from the temptation and cravings for pleasure in this world is you remove yourself from those temptations. Now, there's some merit to that, but what they would say is if you remove yourself from the world, you will no longer be tempted by the world. How does that contrast with what the Bible teaches? Sin is inward. Sin is inward. You go all the way back to some of the early church fathers of Christianity um, Augustine is the one who wrote this. And in his book, The Confessions, St. Augustine was writing and he wrote about this, this time in his life where he was just overcome by temptation and overcome by uh, the desire for pleasure and greed and materialism. And he said, So I gave up everything and I went out into the desert and I lived in a cave. But he keeps writing and you know what he says? What I learned is that the problem was not everything surrounding me. The problem was with my heart within me. He said, so even though I removed myself from the craving or from the temptations of the world, so I thought, I realized that the greed that I experienced when I was living in the midst of it all, the greed was still there because the greed was not external. The greed was what? Internal. It was internal. The desire for pleasure is not just an external desire. Where does it originate? Our wicked nature, our our sin nature, our hearts. So here's a fundamental difference between Buddhism and Christianity. Buddhism says the problem is out here. Everything around us is falling apart, and so withdraw from that, get away from all that. The Bible is very clear that the problem is not just out there. The problem is in here. So the way that we can experience cleansing, the way that we can have salvation, the way that we can have victory over sin and temptation is not by changing what happens externally, but it's by what the Bible says is a renewed heart. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. The problem that you and I have is not external. The problem you and I have is that we're sinners all the way to the core. And as long as we are sinners, which we are, as long as we're on this earth, as long as we are sinners with a sin nature, which all of us have, then temptation is always going to be a reality. You can go to the middle of the desert and live all by yourself, and you will still battle temptation. Why? Because no matter where you go, you're taking your sinful heart with you. That is why going to a monastery and meditating cannot save you. That is why going to a church and singing a song cannot save you. That is why going through the motion or the right or the, the action of baptism in and of itself cannot save you. Because the problem is internal. So one of the things when we're talking with people of these other religions, we, and we have to be convinced of it too, but as we're talking with people of other religions, we have to understand they're viewing everything else as the problem and what we find... In order to have salvation, in order to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have to get to the place where we understand the problem is not out there. The problem is in here. That's the issue. That is why one day you can have a life, you can live one day and have victory over sin and temptation. And you you start thinking, you know what? I'm getting pretty good at this. What happens the next day? You fall flat on your face. Did anything out here change? your heart. The Bible, what what does the Bible say about our hearts? Desperately wicked above all things. What else? Deceitful. Broken. See, we cannot appreciate what Christ has done for us on the cross until we first understand how broken and sinful we are internally. So, are we all guilty of sin? Absolutely. Why? Because we are all sinners with a sin nature. So instead of trying to fix everything out here to give us this peace and this victory over temptation, we have to take a step back and say, first and foremost, the problem is in here. I am never going to have victory over sin in my life until I first can control my own heart. And that is where Christ. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. We are told in Romans 12, 1 and 2 that we are to be conformed to his image. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our hearts. Why is that? Because the problem is here. The problem is internal. All right, where are we? Let me give you these last few things very quickly and we'll be done. C, they believe, Jason, this answers your question. They believe the world exists by natural law, so they do not believe in a creator God, as we already mentioned. D, Buddha taught the idea of knowing or taught that the idea of knowing or pursuing God is irrelevant and can hinder one's quest for enlightenment. So he in his own way he would say all of this organized religion, all of this meeting together and gathering and worshipping and learning and teaching and memorizing is really just hindering your progress towards enlightenment. So he was not one who wanted to have a ton of organized religion as much as he wanted to have this movement of people pursuing enlightenment. Um, It seems kind of contradictory, but in his own way, he would not be in favor of of what we're doing right now. Um, They had much more of an idea that if if I want to grow Hinduism or excuse me Buddhism in my area, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down with Jason and we're gonna talk about it and I'm gonna convert him. Now, what's happened over the thousands of years that Buddhism has existed? So what? It's organized. It's, or, it's organized itself. Kids are born into it are born Buddhist. Now let me ask you a question. This is important. Are in Christianity are kids born Christian? No. They're born sinners. So in a lot of these other world religions, the kids are born and they are immediately part of the Buddhist religion or the Hindu religion. We have to be careful with this because sometimes we can have the mentality that says well I was born, my my parents are Christians and my grandparents are Christians therefore I'm a Christian. Wrong. You do not get into heaven by holding on to your parents' beliefs or your grandparents' beliefs. So one of the things that differentiates Christianity from some of these other religions is, listen, my boys are back there in the, in the choirs right now. Um, Nathan has accepted Christ and has been baptized. Jonathan is, doesn't really understand yet. But one of the things that I know and Dana knows and I communicate to our boys on a regular basis is what I believe is meaningless to you. Meaning you have to believe these things for yourself. And so just saying, I believe this because my parents believe it, that's worthless. And you all believing something just because your parents or grandparents believed it, their beliefs don't save you. So parents, grandparents, what we have to be careful to do is we say, this is what I believe, this is what I believe the Bible teaches, and we disciple and we teach and we train, but we understand that if they do not believe it and embrace it and commit to it for themselves, my beliefs will not get them to heaven. And I do not want to do anything that teaches them in a way that they may think that. that makes sense? That was kind of a rabbit trail, but... um, Where are we? D-E. Buddhism has five precepts. Let me give you these quickly. One, do not harm or kill any living thing. Two, do not steal or take anything that is not given to you. Three, do not indulge in immorality. Some of these almost kind of sounds like Ten Commandments, don't they? Number four, do not lie or speak in any unkind way to anyone. So Let me go back. Number one, do not harm or kill any living thing. Number two, do not steal or take anything that is not given to you. Number three, do not indulge in immorality. Number four, do not lie or speak in, any, in an unkind way to anyone. And Number, number five, do not drink al- alcohol or take drugs. Now, this is changing in the Western world somewhat. It's actually changing in the Eastern world because in their mind now, what is happening is some drugs are a way to pursue enlightenment. And so, um, don't view that as a contradiction. View that as a progression in what they believe. Yeah? How they morality? Um, anybody know? How would a Buddhist define morality? Say what? They're what? Three baskets. three baskets. All right? So you'd have to go through, really, and read all of their teachings, um, but it wouldn't differ too far from what we would say morality is. Um, there, there are some differences, but I don't think, I mean, if you view the person who's a committed Buddhist, they're going to appear to live this moral, clean life. What about the crime rate in I don't know. Crime rate in Buddhist countries. Anybody know? The crime rate in Buddhist countries? Well, the monks don't have anything. Any other any other thought I mean, that's a good question. I don't know. I'll have to Google that or something when I get home. Well, yeah. Sometimes if you steal they cut your hand off. Okay. And things like that. So there are punishment is severe. Punishment is severe? Okay. That would um She said that she she thinks and may have read that in some of these places that if you steal something, they cut your hand off. That'll deter stealing, won't it? Um, Yeah. Yep. Yes, use the initials, SG, yeah, that's a great way of doing it. Because again, in their mind, Buddha is who, the, who all their memorials are built to, Buddha is enlightenment, but this person at SG showed them the way to get there. He, he, he walked this path, he guided them down this path, and so he is, in their mind, when you, when you talk about Buddha, he lived this life, enlightened life, so he is now the enlightened one, and so they, 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 they kind of ball it all up and together as Buddha. Yes? These are the people who are the most committed to becoming enlightened. So if you are serious about becoming enlightened, you're going to become a monk because you want to you want to give rid of everything, you want to pursue this life, you want to go to one of these monasteries and learn and grow, and whether it's Zen Buddhism or Tibetan Buddhism, you want to go and you want to learn how you can become more enlightened. Some people are not willing to go quite that far, and not everyone can, um, but the ones who are the most committed, willing to sacrifice everything, say no to materialism, shave their heads as a symbol of that, then they go and they live this life of, complete rejection of anything material so that they can pursue this, this enlightened state. Is that what Abbey is? I don't know. I've never... So that's, that's so that's a Catholic monastery, it sounds like. Are there, there are... This is getting into a whole other thing. <laughs> um, depends on how you define Christian. How's that How's that answer? There are Catholic monasteries and Catholic monks and Catholic priests, and again, even under the umbrella of Catholicism, you have Greek Orthodoxy Catholicism, you have Roman Catholicism, so even under Catholicism, there's all these different angles, so technical answer is yes, but we'd probably have to spend a little bit more time on that. That's not a very good answer, was it? All right, on that note, let's pray before I get asked anything else. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study, and God, even though some of these, some of these belief systems and religions to us from our Western mindset it doesn't make a lot of sense, um, God, we still understand that the hope of even people in the East who hold to some of these mystical Eastern religions is the same. Whether someone holds, believes in Mormonism or they believe in Buddhism, they need Christ, And whether someone is a Jehovah's Witness or they are holding to Hinduism or Islam, the gospel is still their only hope. And so even though, God, I I know even this evening, there, there seems to be a lot of specific beliefs and things that we just, it's hard for us to connect with and understand. God, the one thing I think we can be unified on and we can understand is that people need you. And so I pray that through this study, we would grow in our understanding of that truth, um, that even in this missions month, we would become more committed to the concept of missions and communicating Christ and sending people to tell others about Christ. Uh, God, and it ultimately flows down to this belief that all of these other world religions and all of these other belief systems are not going to provide salvation. It's not going to provide eternal life. It's not going to provide hope. And every one of these people, all the 400 million um, that we've discussed this evening, apart from Christ, have no hope. And so I pray that because of that reality, we would become more committed to the mission you have given us. We love you this evening, We thank you for our time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.